This is the Real Estate Power Play Podcast, getting you the information that you need to be a successful real estate investor. Hosted by Mark Monroe, Ronnie Walker, Gabe Rodarte, and me, Marty Grizzani. Combined, we've done thousands of real estate transactions. So get ready for real stories and true case studies on finding deals, growing portfolios, and making money. Welcome to the show. Okay, Gino, we are live. So everybody here, thank you guys for uh, joining us. Um, we're actually streaming in uh, some of our Facebook groups and on my, on my page. And we got Gino. We really want to talk a little bit about, you know, real estate, you know, an upcoming event that Jake and Gino has. And uh, highly, highly recommend. I love, uh, went to the first one last year and it was phenomenal. The networking was just, so how you doing, Gino? Mark, I'm confused today. It's a confusing day for me. And it's almost like the real estate market's been for the last three years. It's just been confusing, hasn't it? I, I, you think it's going to slow down. Rates go up. It slows down a little bit, but not really. And that's how my day's been. How's your day been? I I can't complain. I mean, I I had CNBC on today and they're all like, you know, I, you hear these, oh, I'm sitting on the sideline because we're waiting for a recession. But they've been saying we've been waiting for a recession since October <laughs> yes. of last year, even before that, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then look at look at what the market's done in the last, you know, the first quarter or first half of this year. Yes. Well, Mark, let's be honest. They've been waiting on the sidelines since March of 2020 when COVID hit. So that's the reality. They've been waiting for three years. And if you've been waiting for the last three years, you've missed out on some good deals. Now, not all deals, right? We're going to have this tsunami in about the next six to eight months of all of these loans maturing in multifamily. That's the big thing. That's the big talk. But banks are either going to, A, default on them, or they're going to work out with the sellers. So I I think if you need to sell right now, you're going to take a discount. If you don't have to sell, hold on to the property and continue to run it. We've closed one deal this year so far, 130 units back in January. We're under contract for 105 in July. There are deals out there. Don't wait because if, if, the, if the numbers make sense and you can make sense at 6% interest rates, guess what? When rates go down to four and a half, five, four and three quarters, 4%, and you're able to refire that bad boy. Mm. And you'd mention another thing. Creative Cash, you've got your creative finance, seller financing book out there. Now's the time because seller financing is coming out right now because banks are pulling back. Debt is you know, a little a little leery right now. So if you've got to sell a property, you've got a mom and pop, and they can't finance it, well, let's start talking about seller financing, Mark. No, I love it. Yeah, it's, I've always been, even when the market was hot, I've always been doing the seller financing. That's my main go-to strategy You know, for you know, I would say, you know, three years ago when everybody's doing all the wholesaling and kind of doing that, I would say probably 9% of my stuff was still seller financing because there is a benefit there for the seller, you know, especially if you, you know, print them out, give them the amortization schedule, show them how much more money they're going to make. And then they don't want to get hit with capital gains as, you know, so what the one that you're doing now, is that one, a is it a seller financing deal that you have under contract? We have it just actually got just actually got from a wholesaler. From a so wholesaler. It, it's okay. interesting. But the one we did in January was we got a $450,000 seller finance note. And we had another one on the contract in March that fell out of contract out because of contract. Of, during due diligence, just because of, uh, it was just, you know, the price a little too high and there was just too much CapEx. There was, you know, roofs we didn't see. We didn't see like a lot of the sewer problems. They had converted laundry rooms into a, into units. So it needed a ton of work, but we had about a million bucks on a seller finance note on that deal. That deal was sweet. 
if it worked. But I mean, and that's the thing. It's the opportunity. If you can go to the seller and try to educate them and let them know the benefits of it, you're not going to get all, you're going to get mailbox money for the next three, four, five years. Isn't that great? Where are you going to put your money? Keep with the property. And then when, hey, in three or four or five years, if we refi, you get the rest of that money. So I think if, if you're, if you understand the strategy and you know the seller and their pain points, it's, it's next, I'm telling you, next 24 months is a huge opportunity for seller financing. Well, Al, it's, it really, like you said, it really comes down to, but the beauty about, I like in the commercial world with seller financing is that the sellers get it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's like mm-hmm. compared to like in a residential world where I do a lot of, you know, teaching my people and the seller financing, you have to educate the homeowners and the sellers. And, you know, unless they're, you know, they're investors, then they get it. But honestly, investors are a lot more easier to deal with. However, and I don't know what's your opinion on this is if the sellers only own the property for like less than 10 years versus I like the sweet spot for me on commercial, like owning it for 15 years plus. Cause you know, for me, what I've seen, all they, they've taken the meat all off the bone, you know, like somebody that's mm-hmm. only five years or left. What, what are your thoughts on that? What I would say to you is the first thing, the difference between commercial and residential, you need to have the brokers bought in. Bro- a lot of brokers in the commercial space don't know seller financing. Their first question is, well, am I going to get paid? Well, of course you're going to get paid. You just have to explain to them what happens and explain to them the benefits because their seller may not know it as well. So explain it to them from that perspective. Now, on our very first deal, Mark, it was a $600,000 deal. We got 80% bank financing, 10% for the seller and carry back, and 10% we put down. So on a lot of these transactions, you don't have to do all seller financing. On our fifth deal, it was a it was an $11 million deal. It was a big deal at the time for us. It was huge. 281 units. We got 80% bank, 20% seller. So we brought no money to the table. It really depends. Seller financing works in those avenues when the seller has a substantial amount of equity in the deal. You know, they have to have it. So the reason why you're saying more than 10 years is, well, you know, sellers have had it. But you got to be careful because a lot of times sellers have owned these properties for years and they've refinanced and pulled a lot of the money out. So you have to have that conversation with the seller to say, hey, how long have you owned it? How much equity do you have? And don't forget the important question. Do you have any other deals? <laughs> because you're always looking for that next deal. And a lot of se- a lot of brokers don't even ask. I'll ask a broker, does he have any deals? I don't know. Come on. You're, you, you got the seller here. You know if you do a good job with this one, I'm performing on the next one. So obviously with seller financing, there has to have some, some type of substantial equity. And these mom and pops are great because if they've owned these properties for 10, 15, 20 years, chances are they haven't kept up with rents. So there's your value add. Your value add is being able to grow the rents. And on top of that, being able to utilize seller financing. And these mom and pops, when they're burned out, they're in their 70s and their 80s. They don't want a half a million dollar in the bank account. What are they going to do with that? They don't have a net worth problem when they retire. They have a cash flow problem when they retire. So what are they going to do with a half a million dollar check? I think they'd rather be getting seven or eight or 10 grand a month as part of the retirement. That's why seller financing works really well in the residential and the commercial space. No, I, I, I love it. I just, my first deal was seller financing. I was 19 years old. <laughs> I had no clue what I was yeah. doing. I was 19 <laughs> years old. I was, uh, I did the Carlton Sheets book and I went and put bandit signs out on, on a small little town up in Vermont, you know, and uh-huh. uh, that's where I grew up in more national news right now. What's going on in the weather with that up there? It's a mess up there. Yeah. But anyway, um, I put a sign up on the, the poll. We buy houses. Guy calls me up. He goes, hey, I got this mobile home for sale. It's uh, worth uh, 21000 Give me $18,000. i like, I'm not interested. Calls me back a week later. goes, give me $15,000. i am like, I'm not interested. He calls me back another week. goes, give me $12,000. And uh, I'm like, well, do you own the, do you own the land? 
because now I'm thinking, okay, it's starting to sound like a deal. He goes, no, it's in a lot. And I'm like, ah, I'm not interested. So about a month calls by, he calls me back. He goes, give me $6,000 for this mobile home. It's worth 21. Now I'm thinking to myself, okay, there's a little bit of a deal here. I said, you know what? I'm not interested, but why do you have to sell so bad? You know, cause it really, you have to start pulling out why they have to sell. He goes, I have yeah. no money for a lot rent. The lot rent's due and I don't live in it. So, and I said, okay, this is what I'll do. I'm not interested. I really don't want it, but I'll give you $3,000 for it. He goes, oh, give me 4000 I said, I'm not interested. He goes, all right. I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and put together a contract, send somebody else to inspect it, and I'll get all the paperwork and send it over to you. Hung up the phone. This was really before the internet. Put a classified ad in the paper, mobile home for sale, $25,000, seller financing with $3,000 down. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome, lady, dude. <laughs> so the first lady picked it up. She went out, gave me the 3000 gave it to him. I structured a seller financing note over seven years at a seven and a half percent rate. And it was like, it was my car payment, you know, during college days, you know, <laughs> yeah. back in school. <laughs> so this is important. Everybody's got to hear this. Now you're going to hear people in the last five years say seller financing doesn't work. That's their paradigm in the psychology of money that Morgan Housel wrote. You, you, you form a psychology of based around money upon when you live 30, 40 years ago, it worked. 10, 12 years ago, it worked. So when I was using it 10, 12 years ago, I'm like, this works. It just doesn't work in certain parts of the cycle or it works a lot less. It's just one tool in the tool belt. That's all you need to know. Syndication is one tool in the tool belt. Raising capital, that's one tool. Doing JVs, that's another tool in the tool belt. You just need to know when to use them. And it's such a powerful, you do one creative financing deal in your life, it'll set you free. You've got mailbox money and it's just a great way to lever somebody else's property. That is Awesome. I should write a book just on that deal. What creativity from a 19-year-old to be able to think, I'm not going to take any money out of my pocket, and I'm going to make car payment money. That was That is awesome, bro. Honestly, I'm sure the paperwork was all screwed up. You know, because I had to go like this. I had to go to like what, what was this? Like the office store, you know, because we didn't have the internet. I had to go get one of those carbon copies contracts. Remember back in the day? Yeah. And yes. then I had to do a bill of sale too because it was considered a motor vehicle. So it worked, you know, and I had no clue. But then I went a few years after that. But it was like, hey, there's my car payment, you know? That's right. That that so brings awesome. me that, that that makes me think of the quote. I think Jack Butcher said it: "Get going, then get good." You just got going. You figured it out. You did your first deal. It wasn't pretty. It was probably wrong. What's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is you lose three grand or you lose the contract. If you really stop and think about it. But if you if you waited and then waited and then said, I got to wait to get a contract. I got to wait to talk to a lawyer. You're never going to take action. You're never going to get good. You just got going at such a young age and you finally got good at what you did. It didn't take you that long. But that's the point. Don't sit on the sidelines. Now is the opportunity. The next 12 to 24 months, we're going to see a reset. Asset prices are going to go down. Where I think cap rates are going to decompress a little bit, especially in certain markets. Get ready now. Start talking to the market in rows. Start talking to the brokers who are in the market doing deals because the brokers are calling us back. I don't know about you, but I'm getting brokers emailing me deals now and calling me back. That hadn't happened for the last 24 months. It's happening again. So now is the time to start getting ready, start building those relationships. It's, it's actually I'm starting to get a little overwhelming. Every time I turn around, I look at my email box, there's deals sitting in there. It's like, you know, so I have to like, you know, tell me the backstory on this. What's going on with the seller? I need to know yeah. more than, you know, getting into it. So so I can kind yeah. of weed out and kind of filter out the deals immediately. Yes. So and you're probably seeing the same deals. And and I don't know about you, but I'm starting to see the same deals go through wholesalers. Like it's going to a wholesaler and I get the same deal from my email box from five different wholesalers. I don't know if you're mm -hmm. seeing that as well. So, Mark, let's go back 
you know, down history, like, like I said, let's take a walk down history lane. Back in 2008, when all this stuff happened with the Great Recession, we get into, we get into the money crunch. Banks start failing. All of a sudden, we go into recession. We had banks failing six months ago, eight months ago. Credit, the credit markets start tightening up. We go into a recession. It's, it's sort of what's happening now. They've got, they've got to raise interest rates because they've got to slow the economy down. There's inflation coming. It's happening now. The only difference now, I think, as opposed to that, we have a lot more money sitting around the economy right now. There's a lot more access. I mean, we've printed, what, $5 trillion, $6 trillion. That money's still sitting around. It hasn't hit the system. That's the only difference. So that's why it's going to happen. Once that money expires, people are going to be like, they're not going to be complaining about returning to the office. They're going to be hopeful that they have an office to return to. Right now, they're still grumbling about that because there's still a lot of money out there. But when that resets, so it will reset. So when we saw in 08, 09, 2010, things slowing down, and then you had deals popping up, that's what's happening right now. And not as much as back then because you still got capital. But as you can see, I'm probably you're probably seeing the same thing. There aren't as many people bidding on these deals as there were a year ago or 18 months ago because I think a lot of that money's on the sidelines. A lot of these investors who have been syndicating deals, they haven't returning capital to their investors, so they can't go out and look at another deal unless they get the deal they have now to perform. So that's happening right now. So that's good for those of us who have money on the sidelines. And by the way, cash is not trash. Cash is great, especially if what's going to happen in the next 12 to 24 months. So I think that's important. But there's a lot of hope for those of us. But the, but the, the reality is back in 08, 09, 2010, a lot of people exited because they were fearful of the recession. I'm here to tell you, you can exit now and be fearful and do the same thing that happened in the last market cycle. Just be patient. Let these asset prices think, and make sure that you look at all your deals. Pencils up. Pencils aren't down now. Pencils got to be up underwriting deals now. Let me ask you a question. Um, you know, you're saying that, you know, some of these investors are not seeing the returns and they entered in some of these projects a little while. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? So some of these people listening may not know what that is. And then I want to ask you a second question after that, especially what you see what's happening with the Florida market with the insurance costs. that's going to be having some issues there. So how are you guys looking at that? Yep. So let's go back to so three years back to- in March of 2020. COVID starts. Everyone thinks that the economy is going to go into a tailspin. The Fed did a great job of of actually stopping another financial crisis of 08. They pumped so much money into the system that we didn't have a crash. But the problem was it created inflation. And people who were buying deals understood that you know, you're talking about average rents in Knoxville are up 20% in like year over year for the last three years. Even if you bought a deal that didn't pencil out, Three years later, your, your NOI is up 30 or 40%, not because of anything you did, but because of what the market did. We got euphoric over the last 12 months in commercial real estate. What people were doing, they were buying stabilized deals, deals that were actually, you know, they didn't need any work, but they were buying them on bridge debt because the prices were so high. And bridge debt is two year. It's it's uh, it's you know unsecured debt where your your underwriting is at three three and a half percent interest rates. And in two years, hopefully rates are low and you can refinance out. Well, a lot of those investors right now are getting stuck because you know their NOI hasn't gone up as much. But more importantly, their interest rates now are at eight eight and a half nine percent. When you're underwriting at three and you're trying to exit two years later at maybe four or five, but now it's eight and a half nine. 
you're screwed. What are you going to do? You're going to have to give, give the keys back. Either that or you have to go to the back to the bank and say, can you extend it a little bit longer? But I don't think that's going to happen. That's where the opportunity we're going to see in commercial real estate right now and multifamily and a lot of these other assets where people were just trying to get deals and they were just really speculative. They weren't being stuck to their buy right criteria. And when you take that short-term unsecured debt, I mean, we've done short-term debt, but it's five years. We'll go to a bank, a community bank or a credit union, do a loan-to-cost deal. We're able to get money on you know, as far as repairs in our loan, but it's a five-year term. So we've got five years to work that deal out. It's not 24 months where it's like, holy crap, after 24 months, we've got to get, you know, refi. And it would have been great, but rates just shot up so quickly. And I think a lot of these people, these operators didn't expect that. So that's the opportunity right now in multifamily. Yeah, it's, uh, so we're starting to see some of that. Didn't we see one up in Jacksonville? One of the big guys, what, what was that, like 3,000 doors or something like that? That in Jacksonville, but the one in Texas as well in Houston, they're just bad operators. They just underwrote really poorly and they were just, they were looking at all the fees that they could generate. They were buying these crappy properties and they're underwriting at 3% and then they're exit at 4%. But like I said, when, when the Fed raised rates so quickly, it shocked the system, it shocked the market and they can't get out. They, they, they will not be able to refi. So the only thing you can do is sell. Or you have a capital call, the dreaded capital call, where you go back to your investors and say, please, this property sucks. Can you give me another $50,000? I mean, how many investors want to do that? I mean, you're pretty, you're pretty much stuck between a rock and a hard place. You either have to buy them out or you've got to sell. Or what we do is just do that LP, limited partner write down. You've got to write down their equity and say, hey, you had 100000 Guess what? Now you've got 60000 That's another pain point. That's, another, that's, that's something else we're going to see in, the, in this market. So do you think there's going to be uh, lawsuits coming when this when that happens? Uh, I, I think there are. I, th I think what's going to happen, Mark, is a lot of these syndicators who took acquisition fees and all of these different fees, and then they didn't, they didn't perform, and then they lost. I think there's going to be a lot of limited partners who are going to be upset. And it's just like every other market cycle. The same thing happened back in 08. A lot of investors lost money and were, were using money to fund other deals and using money to fund their lifestyle. And they lost money for their for their investors, and I think investors are going to be pissed. I think they're going to be. I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of lawsuits. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and uh, I guess there's probably some uh, attorneys just sitting on the sideline, just waiting. You know, they're going to be <laughs> going after these guys and like, hey, you get, you know, think about it. some of these operators got how many you know doors and how many you know, and they're all. You think they're all going to go down at once, or do you think there's going to be each by each? Do you think? I, it, how, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a good question. I think in you're talking about the the uh, the, the insurance in Florida. I think it's yeah. going to be really market specific. I think some markets are going to do better than others. You look at Tennessee, there's tons of people moving to Tennessee. So a lot of those operators may get bailed out because their rents may continue to rise. So if your rents can continue to rise, you may you may get out of that situation. But if you're in a market where you go into a recession and all of a sudden rents are dropping or you're losing jobs, then you're screwed. As far as the insurance down here in Florida, I think the government's got to step in. He's got to do something with these insurance companies because I think they've gone off the rails. I, I understand the losses that they've incurred, but I have a house in St. Augustine here. I mean, it's more than doubled for no reason. I mean, I haven't had any 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 losses on this house. There's no there's no uh, lost runs here for the last five years. Roofs are new. 
I mean, it's it's just and they just come in and they they they're so subjective and a lot of them have left the market. We need to get new new uh, new insurers in the market. Be wary in multifamily of certain areas. If you're in coastal areas, if you're in Mississippi, if you're in South Texas, if you're in the Florida Panhandle, your insurance is going to be very expensive. We're seeing like a thousand dollars plus per unit in Houston, Texas, because of all the flooding and all that. So if you if you bought a deal a year, a year and a half ago, two years ago, and you're up for renewal. That's going to hurt your bottom line. That's going to hurt the valuation of your property because your expenses went up by that much, which means your NOI dropped. So be careful. So when you're underwriting deals and you're looking at deals now going forward, be sure to call an insurance broker, get a quote on what it's going to be. It's going to day close and put that in your underwriting. Make sure that goes into the underwriting because that's really, really important because if you're underwriting for insurance six months ago or a year ago, you're going to be light on that expense. You're going to be overpaying for that property. Yeah, I, I see a lot of that. Just uh, the same thing. It's like, now, when you underwrite, do you, I mean, well, first of all, let me go back and ask you a question. Do you do, what's your class category like, that you guys, what's your, what do you guys look for? Do you guys go into Section 8s at all? Do you look at that? We, we, okay. have, we, 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 have, we, we you know what our three-step you know framework is, buy right, manage right, and finance right. So on the buy right, when we're looking at assets, we always teach the students, when you're buying a deal, a deal for Mark is not the same thing as a deal for Gino. I mean, talking about experience, talking about liquidity, even the market. The first thing you need to do is select the market. And if you're starting out, you're new, pick one market. If it can be your backyard, great. If it's not, make sure you can get to that market. Then after that, for us, we're looking at deals. I give you our buy right criteria. We're looking at assets, newer assets now in this part of the market cycle. We're looking for assets in the three hours of Knoxville. So for us, we've expanded outward, but select the market. Say, hey, Knoxville, that's the city. Then I look at median income. I want median income right now for us in the $50,000 range because I don't really want to deal with tenants in Knoxville that are, that are that we've, we've had properties with $30,000 median income. You just can't raise rents. Those properties get tenanted over, they get turned over, and those valuations stick. They're just harder to manage those properties. Now, when we started out, we didn't care about median income, but now we're telling our students, be wary of the median income. We're looking at unit mixes. We like one bedrooms, two bedrooms. We love townhomes. If you can buy townhomes in multifamily, they're just like an apartment home. It's just a great place to live. Uh, what other stuff? We like brick. So we're, we're getting really, really granular. We, we like brick. We like pitched roofs. We like properties with amenities, washer, dryer, hookups. And the big one, flood zone. Just be wary if it's the property in a flood zone. If it's in a flood zone, make sure you get flood insurance and see what that flood sure, insurance costs. That flood insurance costs. If, not, if not, pass on the property. Yeah. So, how many deals do you think you look at before you actually do a you kind of move forward? Well, it's like it's like well, the same thing like as residential. You're looking at eighty to hundred deals. I mean, you're looking at a lot of deals. Now we have wholesalers calling for us. So wholesalers will call for us and they're calling their lists and they'll send us deals over. If the wholesaler sends us a deal over, maybe we'll look at 20 to 25 before we actually find one we like, but they've sifted through hundreds to get to that one or two. And in Mark and multifamily, I think if you can do one or two or three good deals a year, you know, if you look at today, you start out today, you can buy a hundred units this year and then next year's another hundred units. And then the following year is 200. I mean, three to 400 units in the next three to five years, your life is completely life is changed. Completely and, and you just need them to be really good deals. So you don't need to do scale. We, we bought last year, we bought 150 units. This year, we're at oh, a little over 200 units, but they're really good quality deals. We focus on profit per unit. 
what can each deal profit per unit wise because we manage our own, our own deals. So for us, the, the rule of 80 always, always counts, especially in residential. Looking at 80 deals, putting offers on 10, getting three accepted, then ultimately trying to get one over the finish line. That's what the general rule of thumb is. Interesting. No, I like that. So, so why don't you talk a little bit about, um, you know, what's coming up with you guys, uh, in, uh, what is it? September, correct? No, it's October. I got it right behind Thank me. You. We got multifamily mastery six. Uh, and uh, you'd said you'd been there last year. And I remember, uh, a lot of the students coming and it, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing event for us because it is multifamily. But as you see in the screen, we've got David Green from Bigger Pockets coming out. He's a, he's a residential guy. We've got Brad Lee, who's going to be talking about branding. We've got Chris Voss, who's going to be talking about negotiations. I mean, he's the negotiation guru. I've had him on our podcast a couple of times and he is freaking phenomenal. And then behind me, I've got, I don't know if you can see him, I've got Chad right behind me. He's a Navy SEAL. So we've got a bunch of really awesome speakers and it's not just about multifamily and the for me the best part about it it's, it is the networking it's going out there people have capital and then you have people who have deals and that's where you meet that's where you make these relationships and you know mark you've been in the business how long you've been 30 years 40 years you know that real yeah. estate bar none is the relationship i i never understood why when i owned the restaurant years ago i would always see real estate guys real estate mortgage guys. brokers mortgage come into the restaurant and they, they, they coming out two or three times a week. I'm like, why are these guys always eating out? It's because of the relationships. It be, it's because you want to meet face-to-face. -face. Coming to these events, it getting in events. rooms with a 1,000 people, it will be life-changing for you because you're going to meet new people. You're going to hear new stuff. And it's just like, wow. What you don't know, you don't know. But when you come to these events, it's like all you need to do is one, learn one thing at this event that can change your life. How many, uh, what was the count, the total count the last, uh, this past year? Last year, we count. had 1,200 tickets sold. I think, tickets sold. I think, I think we're going to, we're going to hit 1,200 again. We're, I think we're at like almost 400 tickets so far. And we're, what, three and a half months out. So now is go time. So this is when most of the tickets get sold. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't even planning on going that year. I had to go up to uh, Ormond Beach, meet some people. Somebody was flying in from Israel, Tel Aviv, going and goes, hey, I'm going to go to this Jacob Jones event. Why don't you swing by and check it out? So I'm like, all right, I know this guy. So swung by and I was just blown away, like the quality and the, the networking. I mean, you had some high caliber people there just showing up as well for the networking, you know? Yeah, and, and the vendors. We have a lot of great sponsors. I mean, we had I, I, we had uh, a lot of cost segregation guys. We have insurance people. We have uh, software people, mortgage brokers. It's if you want to go out there, these are the people that we work with. If you want to go out and, and meet these vendors, that that's the other that's the other component to it. But it's people who are serious. I mean, people who want to get into real estate. And it's in the Gaylord Palms in Orlando. It's just an amazing event. You can fly into Orlando. It's so easy to get there. We call it the financial vacation for smart people. Go there. Bring your family, spend two days at the event, then spend the rest of the week in Disney. That's And we do it every year because of that reason. Because it's like one of those things, just go away and spend a couple of days at the parks. You'll have an amazing time. I'm actually going to take the Bright Line that just opened up from uh, South Florida to Orlando. Dude. So I'm looking forward to that. How long? <laughs> is that three hours? What? How long does it take? It, 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 goes, it goes up to 135 miles an hour in some spots. So I'm looking wow. forward to it. <laughs> Dude, so that... it starts in Miami. It starts in Miami, and it works its way to Fort Lauderdale. I'm in Boca, so it stops in Boca, um, and then West Palm. And then I don't know if it's going to do any, but I think it's going to go right straight to the airport in Orlando, and oh. eventually that's where it's now. And then eventually it's going to go to Tampa, but I think they're going to do a connection um, between. Uh, there's a train that goes up towards your direction now. Um, I don't remember which one that one is. 
I, wow. but uh, they're going to somehow connect because I know Amtrak goes up through there too, and it thinks it stops in. I don't know if it, if it stops in your area, but down near uh, Daytona Beach, it must stop up near you guys. Wow, I mean, the, the I know the governor is great here. He just like let's build another road. I mean, like in here in Saint Augustine, you have ninety five and US one. They're putting another road in between. Just, let's just put another road. You know what I'm saying? Just like yeah, let's let's clear thousands of acres and throw another highway here. It's just amazing what they do here. Like the infrastructure, the infrastructure that they're putting here is unbelievable. The people moving here is. Just- I, actually, I should have hit you up. I was just up there. Um, what's that resort uh, in Palm Coast? My buddy just joined that club up there. Oh, Hammock. Um, yeah, I should have uh, should have had you come down and met, met us there. Oh, I would have so loved to. Beautiful. I drive by there a lot, actually. It's beautiful. Yeah, so um, he uh, lives down in Ormond. That's why I go to Ormond quite a bit. And um, he just joined that club and goes, oh, come on up. So we went up there and checked it out. So I guess they're getting ready to knock down that whole front area. And they're going to build up, you know, where the uh, one restaurant is. They're going to knock yes. that down and put a whole new thing in the spa over there and everything. So. Yeah, so you're not far. You're about, what, 20 minutes from there? I am 20. So next time you're in Ormond Beach, hit me up. We'll go halfway. We'll meet halfway because I'm literally 45 minutes from Ormond Beach. All right. Well, we'll go to this club, you know? I would love that. That'd be <laughs> awesome. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So he he belongs. I guess they have – we went to, like, three different places. They have different – you have the golf. You have the tennis. Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty cool in the marina area. It's cool. That whole Palm Coast area is going to blow up because you have St. Augustine, then you have Daytona, Ormond. That is the next. And Palm it's Coast is right near Palm the ocean. Right near it's beautiful. That I think it already, I think, yeah, I think it already is kind of blowing up. It is. But I mean, like, compare, it's still relatively, there's still a lot to be able to build there. But I, I think that's going to be the next, after St. Augustine, that's the bleed down. That's, that's the next uh, path of progress. Yeah, I hear you. I even think I agree 100%. I'm kind of on the fence with Daytona. You know, I think Daytona reminds me of Fort Lauderdale 20 years ago. Because remember, Daytona was a spring break. I mean, yes. I'm sorry, uh, Fort Lauderdale. And it's really, I don't know if you've been to Fort Lauderdale recently, but it's exploded with all the high rise, uh, you know, condos and apartment buildings down there. It's just every time I go down there, there's a new, new, another one going up even higher than the last one. Mm-hmm. Daytona is weird because you're only about an hour from Orlando, so it's it's pretty close to the Orlando, and it's you're probably an hour and a half from Jacksonville. So it's like it's a tweener. It depends. Uh, there's a lot of new assets, a lot of new multifamily being built there, a lot of new uh, like strip malls outside, a lot of like a lot of those outdoor malls being built up. The Bucky's went there, so it just I think it depends. I'm not depends on jobs if jobs are going there, but like I said, it's a little yeah. too far from Orlando. So yeah, and they're, and they're- they're moving west a little bit of 95 too, in that market over in that area. So yes, yep. yes, yes. So they're doing, yeah. they're doing really well. So, you know, so tell us the dates of the, what are the dates of the show again in, in, um, in Orlando? Uh, October 14th and 15th. October 14th and 15th. Got it. In okay. Gaylord. And, uh, Gaylord. Yeah. Yeah. Gaylord. So below, uh, in the, when I did this, I should have put the link to your website, but you guys can just Google Jake and Gino. Um, but, uh, it has all the information below. You guys are, are seeing wherever the stream yard is being live post right now. And then if anybody's listening to it. Um, so, yeah. So anything else that you kind of want to talk about, you know, since we're on here or any, any more, you know. So, so I want to, sh- let me share I a book that I'm reading right now. And it's, uh, I think it's an important book, it's an important book because of what's going on with the economy right now. It's called the psychology of money. I don't know if you've read the book before. And uh, it's written by Morgan Housel. And and I love the book because I think everyone needs to look at the relationship they have with money. And I think people 
sometimes look at money as this scarce object. I can't get into real estate because I don't have money. Well, Mark just proved you. He's 19 years old. He doesn't have any money, but he got into real estate. And we always use money as an excuse. Money is the result. You get really good at something, more of it shows up. And I've had a lot of uh, negative feelings towards money because that's the way I grew up. And we always have to go back into our past and how our family, how our family dynamic was. My mom, my father, they're both Italian immigrants. They're hard workers. They saved money, save, save, save. So when it came for me to make money and I've got extra money in the savings account in the bank, it's really hard for me to spend that money and enjoy that money. Well, why am I making all this money if I can't enjoy it? I, that that was the big takeaway from this book. It's like you're making it. Understand the relationship with money. Understand why you're making it. For me, ultimately, money is something where you you get back the autonomy of your life. You know, happiness is. I think a person's autonomy. Being able to get on a on a, on a call with Mark today at three o'clock. I have freedom. That's my, I have freedom of my time. I think that's what money allows all of us to do. And I think for us, for me, especially looking at it, all I want to do is accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. But what are you doing with that accumulation? Ultimately, you want to go for financial freedom. But for me, the book reading, it goes, best thing that you can do about money is the happiness. And from happiness, all you're doing is trying to get your autonomy back, trying to get your freedom back, your time back. And that's what money allows you to do. Enjoy it, but also be able to, from my perspective, save that money and don't save that money just for an event, save it to buy these assets. These assets will ultimately pay for these events. That was the big aha moment for me. And understand what your psychology of money is. Understand what your relationship is because we're all different. I mean, if you tell somebody in their 50s right now that you can do owner financing, go out and buy trailer parks, they've never done it. They're a W-2 employee. They think you're crazy. But if you tell a 19-year-old who's never done it before, he doesn't have any psychology. He's never, he doesn't have that paradigm. He'll take that, that risk. So challenge yourself. Challenge those limiting beliefs that you have around money, around entrepreneurship, because I'm sure you have a lot of stuff that happened in the past that created those limiting beliefs for myself, for Mark. It took me years to get into real estate because I was the pizza guy. All I knew was the restaurant. That's all I knew for years and years and years. And I just need to have enough pain to say, I want to get into this real estate thing, make a few mistakes, and then ultimately get in. But by the way, I, I just love that book. So go out and check it out. I'm definitely going to, thanks for checking that, uh, recommending I haven't read that one. I definitely will. But, uh, you know, it, it is all about, for me, and everybody goes back to, you know, when you nailed that when we were younger, you know, we never had conversations about money growing up. I mean, my parents even never even talk to me about, you know, balancing a checkbook and I didn't even learn it in the school system. You know, we're learning all this other stuff in the system, but we're not learning, you know, uh, economics or financial. Um, so I didn't know any of that stuff, but the book, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he hit it on nail on the head too, talking about that. Like, you know, when you, the people that have that conversation around the dinner table, they're a lot more informed about how money works and they put the money versus like, if you're not talking about it, it's like, I don't know, for some reason, it always seemed like when, you, when we were growing up, money was, like, oh my God, we don't want to talk about money. You know what I mean? Weird. Yes. And what's weird about it is it's not, a, I don't think it's a race. I think it's socioeconomic. I, I think it comes down to your family. If your family's wealthy, you have a much higher percentage of being wealthy because they're the ones who are talking about money. They're the ones who are talking about what to do. If you're blue collar or you're like me, I was in the restaurant business. What do your parents and family talk about? They talk about work. They talk about getting the, getting it at the end of the week. What was left at the end of the week? Whereas somebody who has, who has legacy and generational wealth is talking about, well, how much 
equity do we add in this property? How much equity do we pull out? How much cash flow are we making? The words are different. I mean, and that, that's, that's the problem with me growing up. So that when I was confronted with all this and I started partnering with Jake, we're buying deals. It's a different conversation. And the last thing I'll say, Mark, is it's interesting because when me and you went to school, they didn't talk about money either. So everyone's like, oh, they don't talk about it nowadays. Well, when I was in school, no one talked about it 30 or 40 years ago. So I don't think they've ever talked about money in school because there's no reason for them to talk about money because they don't want you to be good with money. They want to enslave you and keep you down. That's the reality. The reality is this, all the information's out there. Go out there and learn about money because it really comes down to if you can control your time and your money, you will ultimately be much happier. More money is not going to make you happier. I don't think that's the point I'm trying to make. I think more time and more freedom and more choices are going to make you happier. And that's the only thing that money will, will give you is that stuff, not the money itself in the bank. But once you accumulate that, you'll be able to direct your decisions the way you want to. Uh, 100%. Like you said earlier, we're sitting on a three o'clock. We can jump on Zoom and we can sit here and talk about this. It's just like, it is. You do create happiness. You know, I love where I'm at in my life right now. I can't argue about it. I'm just... Yeah. I'm enjoying every moment as I can because you never know. You know, life is short. You know, you, you're still a little bit younger, but when you start getting a little bit older, you start to see things a little differently. Like, so why yeah. wait? Take advantage of it and enjoy life now. I agree. So, all right. Well, Gino, I really appreciate it. Um, why don't you just recap one more time uh, the date? And, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, hanging out and seeing you there. I I can't wait to see you there, too. It's October 14th and 15th at the Gaylord Palms. It will be the financial vacation for smart people, as we like to say. And listen, if you're getting into multifamily, if you're thinking about it, if you're a wholesaler, single family, small business owner, the event's for you because it, it will be life-changing. It's not just about doing multifamily deals. It's about meeting people who are in the business and meeting people who are really are working on their personal development. That's why we want you to be at this event. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all in Orlando. Talk to you guys later. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of Real Estate Power Play, guiding real estate entrepreneurs to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast or follow us on YouTube at Real Estate Power Play.